If you have your Bibles with you this afternoon, I want to invite you to join me in Luke's Gospel as we hit the second part of this mini-series before we enter into Advent. Pray like this. And just by way of review, last week uh, we talked about the first verse and second first part of verse 2. And to remind you, when we pray, Father, we are acknowledging this is not about religion, it's about relationship. Because of this relationship, we have been named and set apart for life. Uh, when we pray, Father, let your name be holy, we acknowledge that he has set us apart to be in the business of our Father's business, and that his business is spreading his glory among the nations, not our particular uh, brand of religion, but simply his glory. The implications of that and the personal application for me is this. If I'm busy building my personal resume, then I'm about the business of pushing my own glory. If somebody has offended me and I'm expecting an apology, I'm looking for personal vindication that I'm seeking to vindicate the glory of my own name and not the glory of his name. This afternoon, uh, we're going to be looking at the kingdom and talking about the crown, because when I say, Father, let your name be holy, I am actually preparing to lay my crown down. I want to read, beginning in verse 1 through verse 2. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So let's talk a bit about that kingdom. Let me just be honest with you. Many of you are still getting to know me. This is my, what, is it my third Sunday? Um... This is when Sherry's getting nervous because I'm getting ready to be transparent. So I'm, I'm going to just put this out there. I am occasionally in need of a governor, uh, both in speech and in practice. As you know and probably can assume, this is not the first outfit I put on this morning. Now, now Sherry's not an absolute dictator. She governs by usually asking one simple question. I don't know if you're married, if you've ever heard this question, but the question is this. Are you going out like that? <laughs> and that is a time I know something's not matching. Uh, I, and by the way, I started to drive this week in Singapore. You can blame Lai Kien because she let us drive her car and um, I want you to know that every speed limit sign I've seen in Singapore so far is absolutely offensive to me. <laughs> because every sign I see reminds me that I don't own that road, that I am not in charge, 
Every speed limit says to me there is a limit to my authority. I'm thinking to myself, there's power under this bonnet. There is power, but I don't have the authority. And every speed limit sign I see reminds me. So it's very important we understand that when we talk about kingdom, just as we talk about his name being holy, difficulty, challenges don't necessarily make me the man that I am. But they certainly do expose the man that I am. Uh, For example, I often um, buy Chinese. I'm I'm just telling you what you do. You say, "Oh, oh, Pastor Ian. You are egg, man. The only white on outside, inside Chinese like us. Until we have a disagreement. And then I am such a Lao Wai, right? It exposes the distance that we live with. For example, many years ago in, in Malacca, in my church, I was trying to help two brothers reconcile conflict. And you know one of them? Very earnestly said, Easy for you, Matsale. But we Chinese cannot. You know, I wanted to say to him, I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, are you serious? Do you not know that there are only, there are over 200 countries in this world, and of those 200 countries, there's only like 22 that my ancestors have not invaded? (laughs) Do you think it's easy for us white people to acknowledge that we are wrong in some form or fashion? I'm from Canada. I grew up with the sun never sets on the British Empire. Because God doesn't trust my people at night. Right? (laughs) You know, nothing is easy for any of us. Unless God breaks us to remake us after his image. So, there is a specific reason Jesus said... Pray like this, your kingdom come. Because if I don't daily pray, God, your kingdom come, then just absolutely naturally, I will work every day as if I'm hoping or even expecting that my kingdom, my day has come. Without this Prayer, every time men gather together in a meeting, there's this psychological jockeying for space. Who can tell the best autobiographical story that gets everybody else laughing? Um, It's the reason why you're irritated by that workmate who is constantly in the boss's ear talking to your boss about these amazing plans he or she has to change the company around. And why does that irritate you? Because you want to be in the boss's ear. We are all people of flesh who will just naturally, if not for this instruction, seek our own kingdom. Now, if we're praying Your kingdom come. Definitions are important, right? We ought to know what we are asking for. Because we are living in a day of blurred definitions. In which self is at the very center. So in Canada, we can self-identify our gender. 
We can self-design our own belief systems because there's pieces of this Christianity that are a little bit offensive to me, so I'm going to treat it like a hawker stall and and choose the food I desire and avoid the rest. We self-design our our belief systems. We even self-define terms. You know that's true, right? Everybody says baptism, but we don't all mean the same thing. Every one of us says kingdom, but we don't all mean the same thing. Let me give you an example of what this looks like for me. I, I have this dear brother. used to be a Baptist pastor, but he became irritated that there was not in his church or any church that he knew of enough focus on children's ministry. So he went off, left the church, left pastoral ministry, and became a part of an independent organization that focused on children's ministry. And, and one day he was in my office look, looking for support, and, and he said, Ian, you have to understand, I, I used to be just like you. I was a pastor of a local church ministry, but now I'm doing kingdom work. Now, now some of you believe that, right? You believe that work outside the local church, well, that's the big work. That's Kingdom work, when we cooperate with one another to reach nations, that's not local church ministry. That's kingdom work, right? We have this perception that some guys are called to do the little work of local church ministry, but others are called to greater work, kingdom work. What we're really talking about is the difference between local expression of church and universal church, right? When people say, I'm doing kingdom work, sorry, I'm not supposed to move, it means we're, we're doing ministry to the universal church. Now, now, let me just define that a little bit. Universal church means all believers in every place and every generation. Is that what we're praying for? Lord, let all believers of every place and every generation come here. You think the MT, MRT is crowded now, I, You're praying for the whole church of all history in all places to come here? That's not what the kingdom is. The universal church is church. The local church is the local expression of church. Kingdom, though, is something different. That's why it's important. When you see something, a concept in our English Bible or in your Chinese Bible, you need to ask yourself, what were the original hearers understanding this to be about? You know, in both the Gospel of Luke and in the Gospel of Matthew, that word that has been translated kingdom is actually the Greek word basileia. You know what basileia was? Basileia was the royal palace. King Herod lived in a basileia. Caesar's summer home was called a basileia. And you know what happens in a basileia? Anything the king wants. That's what we are praying for when we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Anything you want. And notice, Jesus modifies it. He doesn't say, just let your kingdom come. And and by the way, let me distinguish between Basileia and Basilica. (laughs) Because I heard we had this 
a little bit of debate. We're, we're rebuilding a church building, right? And, and some of you are wondering, well, what about rebuilding the church, the family of God, right? What's the difference? The difference is Basileia and Basilica. A basilica in the first century was a long hallway, a building that was essentially a hallway where the ordinary people entered in to plead justice. It was a sanctuary for people without power, without authority. Do you understand that in the fourth century, when God's people, your spiritual ancestors, came out from underground and began to build their own buildings, they did not call them church buildings? Because they knew we are the church. Church is biology. It is not a building. They called their buildings a basilica. Because it's where the spiritually impoverished found sanctuary. It was a basilica. We are rebuilding a basilica. Amata wrote. Now let's talk about the basileia. Because the temple of Jerusalem was a basileia. It was the residential palace of the king of creation. And in the temple, nothing happened that was not authorized by the king of creation. And so Jesus modifies your kingdom come, your will be done with on earth as it is in heaven. Now, our screen here is not working, so Ben, bless you for just trying to stay with me. Revelation 7 gives us a window, a snapshot as to what heaven is like. And in verses 9 and 12, it says this, After this, I, John, looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces in worship. Crying out, Amen, meaning true blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. That is what we're praying for. God, let your kingdom come to every nation, every tribe, every tongue as it is in heaven. Let every nation fall down and worship you as the king of creation. You see, Revelation 7 answers the fundamental question in all of creation. And that question is, who is sitting on the throne? Who's in charge? Like, please don't say, now, now, now Ian, you're going to be senior pastor because he is a senior pastor. He is the senior pastor. We are under shepherds. The pastors are not in charge. The elders are not in charge. It is he who sits on the throne who is in charge. Now, who sits on the throne and why does this question even need to be answered? It needs to be answered because we, all of us, corporately, not just people who aren't here, all of us have a rebellion problem. Rebellion first 
against the rule of God is the fundamental deception that led to the fall. Now, some of you know your Bible. You think of the fall. You think, oh, I know, Pastor. Genesis chapter 3. That's not where the fall began. The fall begins in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, when John again gets a heavenly window opened. And he writes this, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Who started the war? It's important you know that. The angels recognize rebellion and go to war against it. If life is hard, just ask yourself, am I rebelling against God's kingdom in my life? Is he absolutely in charge of everything? Does his rule hold sway? Because if not, not, the angels are not your protector. I don't care if you've been wet. I don't care if you said the little prayer. It's not magic. It doesn't suddenly change you into a child of God. If there is rebellion in my heart, the angels are not my friend. Revelation chapter 12. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. Why? Because the place in heaven is for those of us who have absolutely submitted to the will of God in our lives. Every corner. He occupies every space in ours. And he was cast down, the deceiver of the whole world, His angels were thrown down with him, and then suddenly we realize he was thrown down into a garden. Genesis chapter 3. You see, rebellion is the fundamental deception because the evil one has all this power. You know what kind of power he has? He has the power to get himself to the tree, wait for me to join him, and then agree with my deceptive heart. If you read it again in Genesis chapter 3, there is no indication that the evil one dragged Eve kicking and screaming to that tree. He just met her there. And and then in, in this verse, he just says to her, you know, is it true what I'm hearing in this garden? You know, all the animals are talking. Did God really say that you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? And Eve, like she was had a good memory. She says, no, God, God said, whatever is in the garden, you can eat. But the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the one that I'm standing at looking at right now, that one, we should not eat. Not even touch it, or we will die. And here is the evil one agreeing with Eve's rebellious heart and with Ian's rebellious heart. You shall surely not die. God just doesn't want him to be like you. Or excuse me, he doesn't want you to be like him. (laughs) You're saying, yeah, pastor, I don't want to be like you. (laughs) You see, that's the whole thing. That's why we are constantly wanting, desiring to be the God who made us. You know, last week when we were talking about God exists for his glory and our business is also to exist For his glory. There were some of you thinking, that's just like God all about himself. Right? Well, what's the alternative? Who should it be all about? You? You see, that's the alternative. He is the king of creation. And Ian Button exists for his glory. GBC, we exist 
for his glory. Secondly, though, rebellion is the reason that in the story of Babel, God came down. Now, I love this story because of the fact that God had to come down in order to see what we were up to. You know that story, right? Humanity was gathered in a fertile valley, and they were like, let's build a great city and a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? So that we, this is verse 4, can make a name for ourselves. Everything in my tradition and culture teaches me, Ian, make a name for yourself. You have good opportunity in Singapore. It's a meritocracy. Right? Everybody has a chance to do what? Make a name for ourselves. The story of Babel is God dividing up our ambition. Dividing, tearing up, and dividing our kingdoms. Right? And then third, we know that rebellion is actually the great sin of Israel. And sometimes we're reminded, oh, oh, Israel got comfortable and fat and they forgot God and we think that's the great sin of Israel. No, the great sin of Israel is found in 1 Samuel. The people of God went to Samuel in chapter 8 and said, you know, we want to be like other people. You're getting old. You're soon going to die. So give us a king like everybody else has. The scripture says this grieved Samuel, and so he complained to God in his prayer, imprecatory prayer, when that is like, God, show these people. You wreck these people. And remember God's response to him. He says, do everything, they say. It's not you they've rejected, it's me. And somehow we've assumed that God just went away sad. Oh, they've chosen a human king. They've rejected me. Now I'm going to be sad. Rebellion does not create sadness. It creates wrath. That's why in Hosea chapter 13, if you're taking notes, write down this scripture. Hosea chapter 13, verses 10 and 11 says this. Where now are your rulers, O Ephraim? Where are those of whom you said, give me a king like this? Verse 10, or sorry, verse 11. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in a wrath. That is the sin of every human kingdom. To choose presidents and prime ministers, kings and emperors, instead of the king of creation, we have a rebellion problem. And so God provides a kingdom solution. Uh, First, we need to understand that restoring the rule of God is the central promise in salvation. And many of you, if you've grown up in church, if you know the Messiah, you know Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Extraordinary music that produces joy, and it culminates with this. 
of the increase, listen, of his government, there shall be no end. At the coming of this liberator, who will be prince of peace, there will be no end of his government. And the Hebrew word government means rule. His rule will not end. And with his rule comes peace. Unending. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Do you hear? He's predicting the spread of good news. The spread of his rule throughout humanity. But second, it's the central message of the gospel. If, if I was to ask you, what is the central of the message of the gospel? I hope you will say, it is the kingdom of God. Because John Mark, the one who was first to write down the story of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, he begins his gospel with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then, verse 15, there is this. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The what has come? The kingdom of God is at hand. The rule of God is at hand. So repent. That means face him. Turn from where you've been going. Face him and believe this good news. But not only is it the central message of the gospel. Third, we see that it's the primary content of Jesus' post-resurrection teaching. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, you might believe that the primary content of Jesus' post-resurrection teaching was, see, I'm alive. Look, look at my hands. Look at the wound in my side. But notice how the book of Acts begins in verse 3. He, meaning Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and doing what? Speaking about the kingdom of God. This is a central truth. God's people, we need to understand. The rule of God is what my heart daily needs to ask for. But fourth, notice it was also the singular obsession of the first century church. I've already noted that the book of Acts begins with Jesus teaching on the kingdom of God. Notice how it ends in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. There was the apostle Paul living in freedom with a roommate who just happened to be a Roman soldier in Rome. And here's the last word we have on the ministry of the apostle Paul. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense, and welcome all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And yet today, we continue to sanction the usurping of God's throne. Every nation forms its own army. Every neighborhood builds its own walls. Every man becomes the 
king of his own castle, and apparently in Singapore, a castle must have grills. And we're building bigger and bigger castles, not because our families are bigger, but because we have more stuff to protect from the other kings who are obviously all after our stuff. You see, the Lord just has to come down and observe our rebellion. He just needs to observe that we thirst for glory that only belongs to Him. We long to be the God who made us. And yet, still, finally, the crucifixion stands at the very center of all human history. Even though secular scientists are now saying, cannot say before Christ, don't make it about the crucifixion. And cannot say in the year of our Lord, don't, don't make it about his kingdom. Now it's before, what is it? Before something? The contemporary something? And after, now that we know stuff, whatever that means. I'm not good with acronyms, so please just say the whole thing. <laughs> ah, before the common era. We've got some educated people here. Now, after the common era... But, but what I'm interested in is that dash right there. That dash is still the cross. Even though we got ourselves all educated and, and secular, we, we want to look at the Bible like a collection of myths. Still, the cross is at the very center of human history. Why? Matthew 27 tells us why. Because at the very moment Jesus drank the entire bowl of wrath, threw down that bowl, said, It is finished. The very moment he gave up his life, the temple, something happened. In the holiest place of all of creation, that curtain that separated this holy, powerful, let me say it, dangerous king of creation was torn in two. And his powerful presence burst out of that basileia and prepared himself in all of his glory and holiness to enter into his new basileia. Do you not know, GBC, that your bodies are the basileia of the king of creation? So honor him. This is why we pray, Father, your kingdom come. Every single thing we are to be about, every ministry, every initiative, every care group or life group is to be about this. Father, God, set your name apart for your glory and do it in me. Stop grieving about the condition of normal people who are not believers. Start grieving that we leave this prayer to funerals. And don't plead with him, the king of creation. Come in and purify this empty vessel. Fill me, fill us, fill this Basileia, with your glory, with your holiness. 
when we are filled with His holiness, the aroma of Christ is obvious. We will identify ourselves not by our ethnicity, not by our earthly citizenship, but by our relationship to Father. Missions will begin here when we, like Ezekiel, are reminded the nations will know that He is Lord when through us He vindicates His holiness before all. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for you to bow with me. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Uh, You don't have to say it out loud because God can hear the whispers of your heart and my heart. You don't have to say it out loud because I don't need your neighbor to know if you're praying this prayer or not. So I'm going to say a phrase and I'm going to pause and in your own heart If you want to turn his way, then you repeat in your own heart this phrase, Father in heaven, come vindicate the holiness of your great name. Come inhabit this Basileia Make me the residential palace of the king of creation. Because you have purchased me with a price. Because you have given me a name. A name that has set me apart for life and blessing. I lay my crown down. Be king of every category. Be king of every culture, every tradition that is hostile to you. Be lord of every desire. Take every thought captive. And like Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this Garden of GBC rock with the sound of your saints who cry out, not our will, but yours be done. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forevermore. Amen.